0: to the podcast Richard. Thank you for having me. Yeah no no, great to have you on. I mean you know um, not a usual Life at Next podcast uh, because you're not actually a Next employee are you? I'm not but I am in Next clothing (laughs) so I've got a very nice Next shirt on so uh,
1: I like it. I do like it a lot. So do you want to introduce yourself? So my name's Richard Angel. I'm the chief exec of the Terence Higgins Trust and we're the oldest and largest HIV charity here in the UK. Hmm. So pretty big job then that you've got, yeah? I'd say so, yeah. yeah. It's, it's great and interesting, uh, really varied. Um, we cover all kinds of issues. HIV is complex. It's not just about mm. the healthcare element. It's a lot about the societal elements, the stigma. Um, but we've got a really good in with government and parliamentarians, so we talk with people at the highest level about how we can make change. So it's a really varied job and really exciting one.
0: So where did, where did that all start with you? Where did your journey all start? How did you get into this you know it was i guess you didn't just stumble into it did you it's got to be something that you've gotten
1: right that's what i really want to focus on so we're doing this podcast because it's lgbt plus history month and it's an opportunity to reflect um think about where we've come from and look about where we're going next so the month of february you'll see LGBT organizations queer groups hiv advocacy organizations doing a whole series of things looking at the past and setting a direction uh, on our future. Mm. And for me, it's very personal. I am gay. I um, came out to my parents when I was 17. Um, I talked to them about the relationship I was in at the time. I didn't want to tell them about the sex I wanted, but who I wanted to be in love with. Um, So I was in a relationship at that stage and I told them about my partner. Um, It's fair to say I got some mixed responses (laughs) and, one of them was when I told my dad, the first question he asked me was, When are you going to get AIDS then? And sarcastically, oh. I went back with, I've got it booked in on Tuesday. Do you want to come with me? <laughs> and he was uh, miffed by the answer. And I told him how disappointed I was yeah. that a clever person would ask such a mm. stupid question. But I suppose for me, it framed lots of my experience as a gay man is that in that coming out period, people, some people were supportive and that was lovely, some people were homophobic and very negative. Mm. But probably the biggest group had this kind of head-tilt sympathy in their voice that was like, well, don't die of that sex you want to go and enjoy. Because the AIDS crisis overshadowed so much of that experience. I was coming out in the late 90s, early noughties, and HIV was a thing that many people feared. Um, They'd seen the TV adverts in the previous decade, and there hadn't been much updating of the public on what they knew about HIV going forward. So it really framed lots of my coming out experience, one of the early things that I did where prejudice about being gay and how it linked to the AIDS crisis really came to the fore was when a group of friends and I wanted to go and give blood. We saw it as our kind of civic duty, the kind yeah. of healthcare version yeah. of doing uh, jury service, for yeah, example. Yeah. So we rocked up to my old scout hut, <laughs> queued as <laughs> always, you do. Always in scout, always in a scout <laughs> always hut. Always in the scout hut. Uh, yeah. Queued up <laughs> and uh, went into the makeshift cubicle um, and the nurse taught me through various things Mm -hmm. about giving blood and went through an assessment and she asked uh, are you gay and you ever had sex with a man and the question positively meant I couldn't give blood Uh and I had no comprehension that that would be the case but crucially, I was with six of my other friends and I had no idea what to do because if I hadn't come out having given blood, I might out myself and all the stuff that that involved. So I literally, the nurse went out the room for a second. I escaped out the side of this, you know, those kind of metal things. Yeah, 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 yeah. With camp. And I went through that. And because it was Miles' cat, I knew how where the fire escape was. And I went out the fire escape. No way. And went home, pretended it all happened. My friends, I saw at school the next day. This is pre-everyone WhatsApping all the time. <laughs> I'm that old. Um, where were you yesterday? I said, like, oh, I just felt really funny, really faint after giving blood. I just went straight home. Sorry I didn't see you. Um, and, you know, this whole, that, whole- that, 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 that first, I was like, oh, my gosh, there, there's something wrong with being gay mm. and all that that meant. Um, so they were my really early experiences. Reflecting on where we are now not only has... That blood change rule changed, not least because of my predecessors at the Terence Higgins Trust and a wonderful person called Michael Brady, who's our previous medical director and is the government's LGBT health advisor. Them and other people um, helped give advice to change the rules. And the rules now are very different. They don't discriminate on gender, sexual orientation, race, or any of the other factors they used to. And other countries are following our example. So America's just adopted the UK rules for giving blood oh, for example brilliant. so it's a really nice thing to see how that's gone forward and really important time in to history month particularly when it has a focus on medicine and yeah. healthcare yeah, yeah, yeah. to see how you know my early experience mm. um, of trying to give blood how much that has changed and how the UK is changing the way for other people so do you think all of those
0: experiences whether it was an experience with your parents or the giving blood story that you've just told is that really shaped where you've the role you've got into today then 100%
1: absolutely and as a person I am impatient for change I do not (laughs) I do not accept the status quo this country this world could be fairer it could be more just it could be more equal and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning Mm. that's what I care about going forward and what's so amazing about working for the Terence Higgins Trust is we can have such transformational change so whether you're calling THD direct and asking for information about an STI or you know somebody that's recently been diagnosed with HIV and we help that individual or whether you're sitting in a counselling session or peer support, we help a number of people. But we also do big changes that mean we're changing them for hundreds of people we will never meet. So in the three years I've been at Terence Higgins Trust, we've moved a ban on joining or serving in the military if you're living with HIV. We've removed a ban on flying alone if you're a pilot living with HIV. We've used removed the bans on donating blood both if you're gay, bisexual, or man who have sex with men, and if you're from a um, black from an African population, um, which were terrible, outdated rules that still existed till recently. Mm. And just literally two, three weeks ago, um, the DVLA ended its rules on, quote, unquote, driving with AIDS, um, whatever that means. Wow. And the restrictions and the threat of a fine is no longer there. And they now say on their website, if you're living with HIV, you don't have to tell us It doesn't interact with your driving. Um, There's some conditions you might develop if you don't take your medication where you would. But the default of living with HIV or this quote-unquote living with AIDS Mm. is now gone. And that's because of the work that we do. And if you turn on your TV screens when you're not watching this podcast and see Stenders, for example, there is a character living with HIV and we've been helping write those scripts and take not just that character but everyone watching through a journey of... Oh, so this person's diagnosed. Oh, they're straight. They're not gay. Oh, it can affect everyone. What does that mean? He want to try for a baby with his partner. He can't now pass it on, etc., etc. And all that journey, and we've been having that conversation with 8 million people three nights a week. It must be, you must be,
0: like, really, like, you must feel, like, really proud and, like, really get such a, like, sense of, you know, oh, we're making an impact here when all of those things are coming into play.
1: My colleagues are amazing. And yeah. the volunteers that we have yeah. support those. And I'm just a CEO. I just get to take take the credit. I don't do any of the real work. I get to go on podcasts and say how brilliant they are. But I can tell you across our services the impact we have counselling individuals through to the amazing results we get from our national campaigns. Mm. On World AIDS Day this year, the government announced £20 million that would be one year's funding to see HIV testing for everyone who goes to A&E in another 47 hospitals. That's because we've done that work, Mm. made that case... And now, in 81 hospitals across the country, we'll do about 4 million HIV tests a year. Pre-COVID, we were doing about 1.2. Wow. And we'll find people who otherwise would never have taken a HIV test. And that's because my colleagues are really brilliant and they do really amazing work. And because people like Next and individual supporters across the country are generous, give us their money so I can have lots of (laughs) colleagues um, so we can do that work. And it it is something I'm immensely proud of.
0: Yeah, I I bet, I bet. And you mentioned there a couple of times... um, about, you know the work you do in hospitals and also um, the fact that this uh, the theme for history month is around medicine as well so what kind of things in medicine have kind of happened over the years like I take it it's not just a case of oh yeah it's like off
1: we go here's one tablet job done it's a lot more there's a story to it there's a story to it and it's been a long one so if yeah. I take you back to 1982 Terry Higgins was worked in Parliament by day. He was in Hansard transcribing what our politicians say in the chamber. And by night, he was a DJ in Heaven Nightclub, which was the first <laughs> gay nightclub. What a Exactly. What
0: a contrasting what, lifestyle. Exactly. He was a lively fellow <laughs> and
1: um, liked pretty much by everyone uh, who met him, unless you uh, disagreed with him. I think you oh, shared okay. his opinions <laughs> okay. uh, um, very strongly in a really <laughs> brilliant way. He founded the trade union movement in Parliament, for example, oh, and wow. changed fundamentally the relationship between the employers and the staff, uh, with others, but he was a key uh, part to that. Um, so he was a really lively guy that everybody who met him generally loved and adored. He travelled abroad often, uh, getting the latest vinyls from New York, and uh, people asking for reverse bit back. And he was a really lovable character. He was dating a lovely man called Rupert Whittaker, and uh, while Rupert was away at university, uh, Terry collapsed in Heaven nightclub and was taken to St Thomas's Hospital, just opposite his place of work in Parliament, and um, he uh, got himself out of hospital and went away, went back to the nightclub a few weeks later and collapsed again, and he never left St Thomas's Hospital that time. And the point in which he died, we didn't know of what he had died, and his partner Rupert was desperately asking, is it this mystery virus that people are talking about coming over from the States? Could it be that? But because the NHS at the time and his doctors didn't recognise their gay relationship their queer love he wouldn't talk back to Rupert his partner he wouldn't tell them and in fact he told him he'd have to read of what Terry died of in a medical journal okay and so Rupert had his partner die um at a very young age he was 19 at the time Mm. and um Terry became the first named person to die of an aids related illness
0: and at that point, it wasn't, a, there was no term,
1: there was nothing for it. Yes, yeah, so d- HIV didn't have a name. We didn't, HIV, we hadn't HIV didn't identified even have a name. No. The virus was at no. the time. Um, that comes some years uh, later. Um, it'd been initially called GRIDS, gay related immune deficiency, rejected very immediately for mm-hmm. the awful connotations that that had and quick, quickly termed AIDS. But actually, the name of the virus didn't come till some years later, let alone a test, any care or any treatment that thankfully, in most cases, did follow. We still have no vaccine and we still have no cure. But the journey from them has been really quite remarkable. Uh, Care became available and we saw some amazing people, um, not least uh, my organisation and wonderful predecessors in it, but NHS nurses, doctors came forward to care for people who were living with AIDS at the time and and going through uh, that experience. Too many of them died and obviously too early um, in their life um, f- to be taken so early um, that was just so awful for them at that time but in 1996-97 um, a triple action therapy became available and it meant that you could take drugs that stopped the virus from um, mutating with your cells from duplicating the body and making you ill and, uh, and destroying your immune system and that was a l- game changer yeah uh, it was <laughs> called the Lazarus effect people literally Um, came up from their deathbeds some people sadly died just before it became available Mm. and there's some lovely stories from those who watched it's a sin many of the characters that inspired that Um, the true life people that they were based on died just before treatment became available thankfully some people were were there to get the benefits of treatment and we've seen that go on leaps and bounds so at the beginning it was a pills that you had to take at different times of the day there was lots of side effects it was often Bit quite unpleasant. more reactive to yeah. like exactly. oh
0: i've got it and yeah but i'm you on my deathbed to, like quick quick it, yeah yeah people
1: had to take it quickly and there'd been some reticence because of early trials had been did not worked for lots of people and had okay. really awful uh, uh, side effects for people and some people had died of the treatment rather than the virus in those early years but by 96 they'd found something that worked and since then, we've been on a remarkable journey. And for most people, they take one pill a day. And that one, one pill, pill a day, that, one, that's pill, it, one pill. Now, uh, For some people, that is too much. It's a stigmatizing reminder of a virus that they're often discriminated for having. But that one pill a day keeps people alive, keeps them safe. And it does two things. Firstly, it stops the immune system being under attack. So it stops the virus from attacking those white blood cells that normally fight other viruses. That's what's so unique about HIV, and the medicine stops that happening. So for the individual, they can live long, healthy lives. Um, And some predictions say you live longer with HIV now because you see a HIV doctor so often, and a medical (laughs) professional, and all your other needs get dealt with quicker. Um, So we've come on a big journey. The second thing it does is it means you can't pass on the virus. So it it stops the virus mutating and, and duplicating in your body, so you can't pass it on to other people. So if you're having sex, you can have sex without a condom, and your partner will not catch HIV. We know this from studies. Two million acts of condomless sex and not one transfer of HIV from people who are properly from the medication. And this is from the same pill. So when you're taking that one, one pill. pill a day, that means that you won't pass on the virus. And there's no ifs and no buts to it. You won't. Zero <laughs> chance. Zero, zero. transmission. It's really, really amazing. Mm. And, of course, that means for the individual they can have sex with people they want to. People Mm. are more likely to want to have sex with them because they don't have to fear transmission of the virus. So it deals with some of the stigmatising elements that an individual might feel. But also HIV stigma in society is often based on the idea that people are quote-unquote Infectious. Yeah. And it simply isn't true. If people take one thing away from this podcast, <laughs> know this and say to somebody, I watched this funny ball guy on a podcast and <laughs> he bald was pull, two ball guys <laughs> fighting over a comb. And, um, and so he said, that if you take your HIV medication, you simply can't pass on the virus. Who knew that? Well, it's true and it's really mm. amazing. So that journey has been really remarkable and that's really important, which is the two other medicine journeys that we've had testing. So when Terry, Was uh, passed away I couldn't even test for the virus we've seen that come on leaps and bounds Mm. you can do a formal blood test but you can do a finger prick blood test now and you can do a very Mm. simple oral swab and find out your HIV status so just do it anywhere, at home, wherever you are wherever you want to and between the 5th and the 11th of February it is National HIV Testing Week and it's the only week in the year where anyone in the country can get a free HIV test so if you go to uh, the Terence Higgins Trust website you will find a HIV test, and you can order one very quickly, easily. It's always best to know your status. Yeah. We also have the additional tool of preventative drugs. So if you were to have sex and the condom were to break and you think you might have uh, had sex with somebody living with HIV, you can take a drug called PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis. So post-exposure, after you might have been in contact with it. And that is like the morning-after pill for HIV, and it blows out your system, and it means it can't take hold. You have to start taking it within about 72 wow. hours, but that can be really life-changing. It's not used very much anymore, but it is there as a tool. Yeah, you yeah. Have. The second thing is a drug called PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. Right. So you might take it every day. Some people take it four times a week. It's different for different people. Um, and that means that you can take it regularly and you can have sex without a condom and you won't get HIV. And that Guarant- is... Like, guaranteed. guarantee You will it not, is, yeah, guarantee. It's is, it is more effective than a condom. Like, it's really... it is. It means you can't transfer HIV. It's absolutely wow. remarkable. So um that's really an am- amazing place to be in.
0: And have these all taken place over that what sort of time period? We're talking like 10, 15? So yeah.
1: The HIV drugs started becoming effective in 96, 97. So what's that? Yeah. 25 years ago, bit more? Bit more. A bit more. Um PEP was available about 15 years ago and PrEP um. We started knowing about that 10 years ago and it's been free on the NHS since 2020. And I bet a lot of people don't know that.
0: Well, well, outside of the community. It's
1: it's well known relatively in the gay community bisexual men and men who have sex with men generally. But the younger you are in that community, the less likely you are to know about it. We've actually seen in the last year a little blip in increases of transmissions amongst younger gay men um, and amongst... um, Particularly black gay men. Uh, so there are p- parts in which our message isn't yet reaching, right. which is why the support of you and our supporters and other people is so key. We need that resource to get that message, not just to the masses, but to some particular groups and communities that need targeting to make sure they understand that mm. progress.
0: So, do all these things, where does the hope come from? Does it, yeah, where do you get the hope from? Because again, it feels like there's a,
1: definitely a trajectory you're on. And where's that going? Well, hopefully you can. You know, talking about HIV, people often think you should be dour and downbeat, <laughs> but we're in a really exciting <laughs> mm. time. We have all of the tools necessary to stop the onward transmission Yeah, the virus. well, it seems so like we, it. Yeah, people living with HIV don't have to pass it on if they take the medication. No, people who aren't living with HIV can get a test, and they can, if they if they test negative, they can take prep, which means they will never acquire HIV going forward. So. And we've got condoms, and we've got PEP if people need it, and we've got all these tools uh, that are there. We're not using all of them enough, but we have all Mm. the tools. So that means it's possible to end new cases. It's possible to do it by 2030. There is a UK government goal to do it by 2030. If we do it by 2030, we'll probably be the first country in the world to do it. We've got France, Netherlands, New Zealand, maybe Australia hot on our heels. We (laughs) could be the first country to do it. And if we do it, it'll be the first time we've stopped the onward transfer of any virus without a vaccine and without a cure. No way. That is amazing, isn't that? And that's wow. why I get out of bed every day and wow. feel so excited about doing this work, is we could be the first country, we could do it by the end of this decade, and the first time we've done it without a vaccine and a cure. Wow. That's what your support is going towards helping. And we are... There's lots of great HIV organisations out there. Yeah. But I think we play an important role in... Sometimes bringing those organizations together, but also some of the politicians, our supporters, parliamentarians, Mm. decision makers, uh, clinicians, to really focus on that. So I was saying, you know, World AIDS Day, we got an extra 20 million, so that testing happens in more places. That kind of hospital testing, so not just going to a sexual health clinic, but just if you happen to use the NHS, we'll automatically test you. That is more likely to find women, people of color. People who are older and people who have acquired HIV through heterosexual sex. That's amazing. Mm. And all of those things, you know, if you want to end an epidemic, you don't want to end it for a group, you want to end it for everyone. We cannot leave anyone no, behind. Because no.
0: it's you're not gonna you're not gonna stop the
1: spread in that. Because no. No, no. people are gonna continue to have yeah, sex. So yeah. you've got to you've got to do it for everyone. Yeah. Because it will come back if it doesn't. And that's what's so exciting about it, is that we have these opportunities. Like I said, we're doing it sometimes with one hand tied behind our back. (laughs) We're definitely not using them all. And when I say not we, the system, the NHS, the country, local government, etc. But they are willing partners. Mm. You know, the chief exec of the NHS went on the radio recently to celebrate the NHS's 75th birthday. What was her example of something exciting that the NHS was trying to achieve? She mentioned ending new cases by 2030. because. It matters to the country that we end this epidemic. Mm. And that's a really amazing thing to be part of. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing when you think that not only
0: will it end it, but it will be the first time for anything
1: without a vaccine, without, without a cure. vaccine, without a cure.
0: Yeah, it's just like groundbreaking. It really Like, is. like yeah,
1: that—that's how, how much we've of been three dip. years off a vaccine since 1987. So, <laughs> <laughs> we, um, and that's what's so like, interesting. You know, there are all these other, and that's the, like there's other technologies that can come. We're getting injectable HIV medication now. So maybe if you're going to prison for a period of time, you don't want someone to see you taking a daily pill. You might be able to every other month Inject. have an injection. Other people, that would be really good. To they don't get that daily reminder mm. of this virus that comes with so much yeah. stigma. So injectables could be game-changing. Equally, we're, they're just going through the process of approving injectable PrEP. So if you might be going on a holiday for a period of time, you, you might want to cross the border with medication, People opening it, at, you know what they're like when you're checking your suitcase. If you take your, if you have an injection for your PrEP, and you're going to have your long break for winter pride somewhere or a summer holiday or whatever, you can go knowing there is no risk of HIV no. transmission. Think how tr- transformational that will be. There's still some promise a vaccine might mm. come. Um, there's been some examples of people who've been cured, but been very, very rare and very, very unique. Um, so, you know, there's, there's all this. Other prospect that's coming because the medical community is working really hard to do all they can to help us end HIV.
0: So, so how is it? How important is it then that there's a collaboration? Because we're here, really representing sure. that collaboration, aren't yeah. we? How important is it you
1: collaborate with companies like Next? Then, well, it's absolutely vital. For you know, if I was running this organisation twenty years ago, almost all of our programs for people living with HIV would have had a national, regional. Or um, trust and foundation that was funding that work and said this is really important that happens, mm. and because of the change in the virus and the numbers who are being uh, acquiring the virus going down, and uh, uh, and the pros are making actually most of those funds have fallen away. There isn't the same funding for HIV. Right, okay. So our supporters are so vital to that, whether they come from corporates, of which Next is one and one of the most generous. You've raised 22,000 for us in the last 18 months. That's been absolutely amazing well, and we'll very kind next. of you. People <laughs> who bought their beautiful little bauble. Um, that was uh, the Christmas. number one,
0: actually. So we did... Um. Sorry, just to no. uh, Yeah, we did a... Uh, so we collaborate with a lot of different charities, whether it be uh, Parkinson's, uh, THT yourselves... Um, Air Ambulance, whoever, loads of different things. We've got a great team here that do it. And it was actually the THT Love. It was part of the Love Collection. It was the number one seller.
1: Yeah, it was amazing. Well, every member of my family got a Christmas (laughs) bauble. um, So you're you're half the sales. I think that might be the case. From from my little mini (laughs) dash and whisper, she sent every member of the family a personalised uh, love bauble uh, through Next, which was very generous of you. But you've done the T-shirts as part of the love collection of the mugs. Um, We've done it. it It's our second year of doing this collaboration. People are running the marathon for us through the Next network and through your giving at next where employees can donate that has generated funds for tht Mm. and that's really really vital so whether it's corporate supporters like yourselves or individuals who might decide they want to run the marathon for us do a bake sale at their community group or uh donate through their legacy and uh, when they die or through a regular gift in their um, monthly paycheck or whatever Mm. all of that adds up and it means that we can provide services for people living with HIV to come to terms with their diagnosis, uh, to support them to live well, have great mental health, um, see our counsellor if they need to get the latest information. Um, some people need our hardship fund. Um, yeah, we've got an array of services, but mm. those things don't come with any funding directly mm. really anymore. We have to apply piece by piece we have to do it by people being generous and we are really really lucky that THG supporters are very generous in what they do and that every year we seem to be getting new collaborations with the likes of Next Mm. that have employees and the company that are prepared to go the extra mile to help us meet that challenge and be part of this really exciting thing of ending this epidemic that has taken too many Mm. and stigmatized everybody impacted by it and I think that's a really sobering thought for Elderly History Month, the challenge that we have been on, the journey that we have been through, how it is so disproportionately affected men who have sex with men, gay and bisexual mm. men in the UK, trans women in particular, um, have really disproportionate experience, disproportionately experienced, but it's a virus. It doesn't know who you are no. and I are, who we have doesn't sex with. It no. doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. And so it can impact anyone and that's why we want to make sure that we do everything we can to make Mm -hmm. sure everybody and anybody living with HIV has the best experience with the virus, can get it on the medication, under control, uh, not able to pass it on, have great sex, have children that are negative, and all the other things that go with it. Mm -hmm. And that's the really exciting part we are on our journey. And we're so glad that you are generous with your time, support, and resources uh, to make that happen. And I I also say that we can't downplay how important it is that you can go into every next in the country and buy a tht product and what that says about yeah. how that in itself is fighting stigma and i think that's a really important thing that you do as an organization and we're very grateful for for you for and doing i think that. that's the other side
0: isn't it as well there's the side of funding but then there's the other side which is the awareness piece as absolutely. well absolutely um because like you say there's the stigma as yeah. well it's helping with the stigma it's helping people be aware of what you're doing and yeah. um, and why you're doing it and that's part of i know it's We we have a a network here, the Product Next Network, uh, employee-led community, sorry. And the whole team behind that really have always pushed this and helped this partnership grow. And they bring other people in, uh, you know, people from my team or people from around the business to help create the product. Um, And it's such such an important thing that they do. And it's great that we continue to do it now because we've been doing it now for, ooh, Best part of three plus years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a lot. It's becoming a long-serving collaboration, which I know is vital. But yeah, how important is that awareness
1: as well? Well, for, to you, like, yeah, absolutely vital because um, for the people we might not meet for our services, people living with HIV, they want to go into the world not talking about their virus. That's yeah. not the thing that defines them. Yeah. Um, and if they do talk to their colleagues or friends about it, they don't want to get some of those. Awful questions that come forward. Mm. So the most likely thing you're well, if you tell someone to live with HIV, what you fear is they're gonna reject you. So is that that kind of tends to be the number one thing? And and I think lots of LGBT people will know what that feeling fears like. That if you're gonna disclose that very personal thing about yourself, that coming out type experience, that you fear rejection at that point. That's what people going through that moment does. And that's very similar uh, with HIV. And so I think lots of people who are marking Elder History Month, will really, that will really resonate with them. Uh, and so that's really important that we, we dispel that challenge. And yep. I prescribe to people a consensual hug or a handshake <laughs> or a touch in some way. As long as it's friendly and uh, received by the other person, <laughs> it's good. Because that fear of rejection is very real. Yeah. What often then comes is the question, how did you get it? Oh, right. Really? Now, well, if you think stra- about... like, pretty much straight were, away. And I talked to somebody today who said they went to see their GP, and the first question their GP had, how did you get it? Now, imagine if you had a conversation with somebody who was pregnant. <laughs> right, Imagine okay. then the first question being, how did you get pregnant? Yeah, Wh- you know where, where the, did you do it? You like, know, like, yeah. You know yeah, the yeah, answer, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, you know it, It's yeah. hugely problematic, and it asks yeah. people to, one, have to share things that are generally not workplace-appropriate. They might not want to talk about, like... It might really have a trauma. It might just be like, it's just, it's completely unnecessary, but it it happens way too often. So, the kind of thing that you're doing here at Next, having our conversation. I'm sure it's going to be broadcast to millions of people who <laughs> are watching so. <laughs> it when it goes out <laughs> I hope so. live on Channel 4 <laughs> uh, and YouTube, I'm sure. And the, um, uh, so, you know, just hearing this and seeing this mm. is a place where I could go and prosper if I'm living with HIV, if I worked yeah. for next. The employee network is engaged on these issues, they care, mm. they're working with THT. So that's important. But again, seeing that store by store, having that mm. opportunity to buy the Love t shirt and knowing that you're supporting a HIV charity, that in itself. Uh, fights the stigma and it changes hearts and minds and the first campaign we did together was actually the adverts had people living with hiv as the models for the t-shirts that we'd worked on together that was a really special moment and for the people living with hiv in it they absolutely loved it Mm. Uh, feeling like they were uh, on a catwalk was really uh, (laughs) transformational for some of them and we haven't heard uh, the last of it from one or two of them but actually it said something really amazing life can really change when you're living with HIV Mm. and sometimes it's for the better. For some people it's been their change of career they needed, the wake-up call they needed to deal with issues in their life and for some people it's been a really positive journey and for those people they're keen to share that message and NEXT has given them that platform and for that we're very very thankful.
0: No well (laughs) I mean I can't speak for everyone but I'm pretty sure that everyone would totally agree with that. We're we, we love the collaboration, we love doing it. Is there any other opportunities, Richard, that you're looking forward to for THT going forward? Uh, obviously, you've got the 2030 objective, which is such a, speaking to you now, great goal to have. And, you know, I really, really hope that, well... It
1: sounds like you're on the way to getting it, but what else is there? So it's possible, not yet probable. We've got possible. a lot of work to do. Possible. It, it, that, that possibility is what yeah. gets me out of bed in the yeah. morning. The probability is what keeps me working. When do, night. When, do you,
0: when do you think it? Do you think there'll be a shift where it goes from
1: possible to probable? Let's hope, and that's yeah, why we and get. That's out of, what you're yeah. hoping and for. And so the government's yeah. got a target to have an 80 percent reduction by 2025. I'm a bit worried that okay. we're not quite going to get there, but it's a driving the work. Yeah to make that happen and that's a really exciting thing. So we live in hope and we are focused on making sure we do it and we will not be the generation that let ourselves down by missing it. So we're gonna somehow, and I like to think THT is a bit of the rocket fuel that gets us between it being possible Mm -hmm. and it being probable. so I'm excited about that. This new form of testing coming on board in another okay. 47 A&Es. That should be starting around April time in lots of those places. Um, so we know Leeds is coming on board as one of the first places, which is really exciting on top of Manchester, Brighton, Blackpool and um, uh, London. So that's really <laughs> exciting that we've got uh, Leeds one of the first joining, but other cities will be following uh, soon after. So that's a really exciting thing we've got coming up. Uh, we've got an amazing auction at Christie's that we do, which is really very special. So if you're an art aficionado, uh, <laughs> go to tht.org.uk forward slash auction and you can see um, the beautiful artwork there. And it's a range of prices. And some of the live items, we've got a Tracy Emin donated this year, which will be very special. Oh, wow. And will hopefully be very successful. So that's a really nice yeah. thing in the calendar yeah. uh, coming up. Um, And then we've got an array, a summer of um, what we call challenge events. So the London Marathon, and marathons all around the country, and things where our supporters get wet and muddy and (laughs) get sweaty and all these things that I wouldn't do, but they are prepared to do them for our cause. And, you know, as somebody who can't bake and can't run, it is amazing that our supporters (laughs) do bake sales and do amazing runs for us. And I'm looking forward to that happening through Pride Month, the rest of the summer, and crescendoing in Black History Month. Yeah, well, a a whole suite of things that you've just got to,
0: you're just going to be digging yourself into and getting stuck into. And it's been great chatting with you. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for your time. Um, I can't wait to see what we do with this collaboration going forward. Um, Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure.